As Old Man 1958 hobbles toward his finish, Hudsucker is the name on the Twin Geeks' minds. Movies and friendship. Those are mysteries. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So, big news this week, we have Spielberg coming out against Netflix. Yeah, that was a kind of huge, controversial thing. <laughs> it doesn't look very good. I mean, it's not going to age very well, considering that we have Apple coming up and we have Disney+. Plus, and it's not just going to be Netflix in the conversation. Last year, we had a lot of Amazon films that seemed pretty uh, competent. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, because Netflix has been kind of just become a catch-all phrase for streaming services. You know, like that... People just casually toss that around like that's the thing when really there's many other services. You know, Amazon is just as prolific. But yeah, Spielberg is, is specifically against Netflix and streaming in general. Yeah. And vehemently so. I mean, Netflix, because they have Corone and they have uh, Scorsese, but um, I, I, I get a little bit of both sides because I want to go to the theater. And I think Netflix winning an award, it doesn't benefit theaters. And. A lot of the Academy's purpose is they want to benefit, you know, the the theaters that they're doing the show for. It's a huge promotional tool. Well, specifically Spielberg as well, who's got all that money tied up in, you know, being a producer. You know, it's competition, which he's trying to stop. It doesn't, he, he makes the argument for it's a, an experience sake or, you know, the sanctity of the cinema, but it's a bunch of, you know, bull. I mean, we pulled up an article from 89 saying Spielberg doesn't want uh, E.T. On, v- on VHS. And then we had another one 10 years later saying he doesn't want DVD. And then here we are another 20 years later, doesn't want streaming. So there's a yeah, pattern there. It's it's just a consistency of being behind the times. And, you know, I was like, yeah, that seems about right. Because that's very much how I felt watching Ready Player One the whole time. Is that Spielberg just has no idea what's going on with the current trend of generation. <laughs> Yeah, um, and uh, I, I, I don't feel that way so much about Ready Player One. I feel like that's such a throwback of nostalgia that it doesn't need to be in the modern times. But um. <clears throat> Well, specifically, I felt like, you know, based around internet culture and how people interact and things, and, you know, the, the message at the end was frustrating for me in particular, you know, this idea that, you know, we shut the whole thing down for, you know, once a week because people need to go out and have a life. And I was like, wow, that is the oldest man thing I have ever heard. You really don't understand internet culture. Yeah, I wasn't quite advocating to say take a break. It's not quite advocating for our culture or what we really, you know. The The whole purpose is that we're always connected to everything. Well, the idea is that you spend the whole movie, you know, like the, the book is specifically praising this, you know... Uh, great invention of the internet and how we can reach out and have contact with people that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. And then the end of the movie is just like, yeah, but once a week we're going to take that away from you because, you know, trees. I've been reading this David Lynch book, uh, Room to Dream, and he's so excited about small things. I mean, he loves the internet, but uh, he had also just discovered Photoshop, and that might be the most excited he gets the entire book. I'm just imagining, like, what, like, he just stumbled upon it, like he was walking past a computer and Photoshop happened to be there and it caught his eye? <laughs> How do you stumble across Photoshop? I found this Photoshop and I started moving elements and um, it's the greatest creation in God's earth. <laughs> you know, he <laughs> I, loves I, it. I like your David Lynch impression. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> 
I, I have a lot of practice listening to this book. So. It, mm-hmm. Oh, you're listening to it as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I ended up with the audiobook because I want David Lynch to read to me. Yeah, so. I would too. Can, can we just have David Lynch read all sorts of things? <laughs> it would be nice. Um, all we really get are uh, um, treaties against using your iPhone. Yes. <laughs> um, so is there a... You said you had a, a headline or something. Yeah, I, I just thought this was funny. It was an uh, entertainment, you know, an Onion Entertainment article, and I just felt like the headline summed up the whole Spielberg thing very well. It says, Steven Spielberg criticizes Netflix for ruining golden age of pandering big-budget corporate films. <laughs> and, I mean, it's also an uh, interesting week uh, going on that note that uh, the um, HBO is getting uh, their, their guy left, right? I need to look this up. Uh, something like that. Is Watchmen still happening? Yeah, I think Watchmen's still happening. And um... like, I know the big things were like Watchmen and the Lord of the Rings series was a big talk at Amazon. And I haven't heard any news about them since announcement. Yeah, I think uh, AT and T and Time Warner are combining, and then HBO's kind of getting moved along into the streaming battle. They've always been sort of separated, but I think uh, now with that merger, they're going to have to you know kind of give up what made them HBO. Oh, I'm saying, you know, and I'm saying the same thing I've been saying for, like, years now, is that, you know, five years from now, everything, you know, TV's just going to be dead. We're not going to have TV anymore. It's... Yeah, or movies. Well, we'll probably have movies still. I don't think theaters are going to go away necessarily, because, you know, the sanctity of it is still there in the sense of the experience, especially, but it's, it's going to be for the blockbuster appeal now, you know, and you'll have, I think you'll always have, like, throwback theaters. You know, you always have the art house screenings. Yeah, I always imagine something like a future where where theaters are just more accessible, where you could kind of go and and you could kind of watch whatever you want, like a Netflix. Like you could just put in the thing that you need. But uh, I hope one day we'll get there. But uh, I just want uh, I think that's the other side of it that Netflix is saying we just want films to be accessible, and there's definitely a benefit that they're allowing diverse artists to create on a small scale. Well, I think the perspective here is the difference. It's not that we're making movies more like television we're making homes more like theaters you know in 10 more years everyone's going to have their own projection set up set up essentially you know we're, and we're going to have this you know live this catalog that we can call upon at our fingertips to watch from you know what we're watching now is that you know the theater experience is spielberg is recalling is not even the same as what it is now you know with everything being digital and all that if he's wanting to preserve the sanctity of what he grew up remembering then you know that is long dead yeah it's not quite like it used to be and there's a feeling that um movies aren't exactly becoming like television but television's becoming like movies and eating into their uh format and i think it shows when we have a you know like a television uh, focused provider like netflix putting out Corona and going into a best picture category, things well, think, have really changed. I think what streaming is doing as well is that you got to consider uh, is that I think it's inventing a new form of, uh, you know, kind of televised format. It's not television and it's not movies. We have a serialized, you know, series here, you know, the limited series that go for a certain amount of time. There's something like, you know, House on Haunted Hill last year, or you had a series of unfortunate events that also went for some time, you know, several seasons. And it's a contained story that's told over a longer period of time, but not inherently in a, you know, kind of weekly episodic format. It's intended to be watched all in one sitting, you know? Yeah. 
I think that's my other and last Lynch note for the week is that uh, Showtime originally turned him down to do the Twin Peaks, and then he said that uh, he wants to fil- he wants to make a film. He wants an entire film set. Like in in TV, you might just have like a a few specialty parts on set at any one time, but there's another way to make uh, television, and it's the same as making film, and the product comes out a lot differently. Yeah, certainly, and I think Lynch is is very much an advocate for different mediums, you know, forms there as well. You know, it's not limited to just the 30-minute or hour time span you get on TV or the two-hour time frame you get for a film. Right. And that's where Um, things are headed. But until then, we have some movies to talk about, of course, as usual, every week. Yeah, uh, there's a couple new things out, but (laughs) mostly the same as last week. Well, some some interesting new things, I guess. Not necessarily good, but we'll talk no. about them. Uh, uh, before we go, can we just jump to 15 there? Um, 15, way down? Oh, yeah, I see it there. So you want to talk about Apollo 11 here, because you did go and see it. Yeah, it has new footage of the moon landing, um, post-humanist for Kubrick, but it's nice that he's still working. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We and, we got a new movie from Orson Welles, and we got a new movie from Kubrick as well, Beyond the Grave. That's what we're going to do. We're going to just start reviving dead directors. I mean, I know it's convincing because some people believe the moon landing is real. So I know that uh, Apollo 11 did a good job. Uh, the music sounds great. Uh, I feel like it really brings it to life, and it feels like it's prescient, and it feels like it's new, which is pretty exciting. Like, I was on the edge of my seat because I, I feel like we're conditioned in some way with space flight movies to kind of know where where they're going, right? But right. Uh, this one, you still feel that tension. Like, what what's going to go wrong here? Uh, you, you still feel tension with a historical one? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Because there's, like, uh, um, heavy uh, propulsive music as, the, as you get kind of new footage of them scanning the rocks as they're floating over the moon, and it feels like some kind of, like, horror tension piece. It's a really interesting way to go. Uh, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I saw it in IMAX. I'd recommend it. Yeah, and I think in the same sense, it's kind of an appropriate piece to go along with uh, First Man that we got last year, right? Yeah, uh, it does have a... The soundtrack definitely reminded me of First Man. Like, it does some of the same takes that, that made it feel so much like you were just in the shuttle. I wish uh, I wish we had more <laughs> shuttle imagery here, but, you know, if you don't shoot that originally, you don't have a lot to play with. Yeah, I was just thankful that we have what we have, you know, over the last several decades, we've become much more, um, you know, kind of uh, putting a precedence or an importance on um, creating a history, a documentation of things, whereas, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, or I guess longer than that, but, um, you know, that was not as much a priority, more like 80 years, I guess. Especially right now, we're getting um, a lot of this pushback that is anything really real anymore uh you know we have access to videos on youtube and we could believe them but uh people don't necessarily believe what they see anymore so it's a very difficult uh very difficult idea to just sit down and watch a documentary but i think this one's worth it yeah well let's take a look as well what we have for the the top 10 of the box office shame that didn't crack it but you know few documentaries ever do true Yep, at number 10 here, surprisingly, we have your baby still here. You said it wasn't going to be here last week, but it's here still. Happy death day to you is clinging on. And I think you're a little sad because we just got some news, right? Yeah, we got uh, we got a little rough news this week that uh, happy death day 
three probably isn't happening, and that comes from Blum, Jason Blum, so uh, that's a sure thing. <laughs> I feel pretty bummed out about that, because it's my favorite modern horror franchise, but uh, they really just, didn't do enough to get this out there. Our whole discussion last week was about horror trilogies and how this could really be one of the, the great ones there, and now we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're not going to get a good horror trilogy again, so that's okay. No. No, this is a, it's a shame, because at the very least, they should be funding this for you. I mean, th- you know, these are cheap movies. They could, they could, you know, kind of shell out some five million just for Calvin, right? I mean, just just send me a copy. I'll give it another nine or a ten, and then we'll call it good. Yeah. Of the third movie. Well, we'll give it a, a personal, you know, in-depth review here on the Twin Geeks if you fund this, Jason Blum. <laughs> We'll devote a week of coverage into Happy Death Day. Uh, I, I guess I will. Nobody else wants a part of my plans. No, but you you will, you know, take time off of work to do this for sure. You'd probably oh, quit yeah. your job. I probably would. Well, hopefully we'll hear back from Jason Blum by next week, and we'll update as to whether that will happen or not. We'll just uh, tag him on Twitter once this goes up and make sure mm-hmm. that... At uh, number nine, we have What Men Want Still. Did you, did you see any more people faint from this film? <laughs> yeah. Last week, I was coming out of uh, How to Train Your Dragon, and a lady was escorted out because she fainted during the film, which uh, I, I, I found it hard to believe, but uh, her friend was impersonating her dying on the floor, so that was fun. Mm-hmm. And no more incidents since then, right? Uh, no fainting incidents yet, but I haven't been to the theater, so I, I feel like there's still some out there. I I did see Apollo Eleven, but that's it. Ah, and no fainting in Apollo Eleven, right? No, um, no, but that would have been more likely. Hmm. <clears throat> well, hopefully there are people around the country still fainting to what men want, as it remains here in the box office for another week. Yeah, one could only hope. At <laughs> uh, number eight here, we have our next new film here, uh, Greta, which I'm I don't really know. Excited whole... about? Uh, you don't know anything about it. No, I know a little bit because I looked up a little bit, you know, beforehand, and my fiance told me it's a new Chloe Grace Moritz film. But that's about all I know. I know this uh, lady loses her bag on the subway. This girl takes it back, but um, they kind of make a friendship. She becomes her new mother, and is that really all she's in it for? Um, looks like an interesting thriller, and yeah, Chloe Grace Moritz is always good, and uh, Isabel Hepper is amazing. So I I can't wait to see what it is. I think the director here is interesting. I don't know if you saw it. It's uh, Neil Jordan, who is essentially known for a string of three notable films in the 90s, and that's about it. What's that? What did he do? He, he did uh, The Crying Game, and then Interview with the Vampire, and Michael Collins. What a weird thing to do, Crying Game, and then just disappear. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Interview with the Vampire was also huge, like, right after that. Oh, yeah, it was a big, big deal. Big cultural phenomenon, you know, Anne Rice was all up in, in that. And I, I've always appreciated Anne Rice. I mean, you're a New Orleanser, right? Or you're a Louisiana yes. guy? Yes, my family, both of my parents hail from New Orleans, and it's a, essentially a second home to me. I wish she didn't just write, like, a, you know, kind of witchcraft vampire stuff, because she has really the best sense of New Orleans of anyone I've read, and I, I really appreciate her work. I, I'd like to keep seeing those films. Mm-hmm. If they make uh, any more of those, I think that'd be interesting. Actually, like a, a a new version of Interview with a Vampire, I could totally see that being very interesting to see nowadays. I mean, they kind of skipped my favorite book, The Vampire Lestat, and went right into Queen of the Damned, which I always found unfortunate. But uh, like my favorite books, kind of folded into the next one. That's not very good. So 
I feel like they could just come back at that point, do like a reboot. That's that's a reboot I'd probably pay to see. Maybe this Neil Jordan guy's available. Maybe. I mean, this is another horror entry for him here with Greta, so I think that's the only, like, just interview with a vampire to hear is the only connection I see. But it, I mean, I'm not seeing a whole lot of talk about it right now. It's another horror film that seems to be flying under the radar this year. We're not, we're not getting, like, fantastic horror quite yet. We, we got, end of this month is when we're looking forward to, right? Yeah, except Happy Death Day, which you should all go see so you can save the franchise, and I'll blame you if you don't. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully, you said you're interested in seeing this, so maybe we won't talk too much about it until you get a chance to see it. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely, in a couple weeks, I'll definitely have seen it, and uh, I'm pretty hyped to go see it. I didn't really know if it was a horror thing, but then I, uh, then I kept looking closer at the poster, and it, it's the girl's head cut off with the other girl emerging from it. Yeah, I see that there. It's a... Uh interesting <laughs> yeah it's a good poster I, i'm excited to see what it is i don't know if i like the yellow color so much in it but otherwise the design of it's pretty good yeah yeah anyway uh let's take a look here uh number seven another film i know you were very excited to see is uh isn't it romantic yeah i i ended up seeing most of it um it's <laughs> uh i i was like you said i should probably go because i like romance comedies the thing is this movie doesn't like romance comedies <laughs> this is Rebel Wilson, like, railing against the establishment of romance comedies for a couple hours, and I don't really give a shit. That's a shame, because the premise sounded like the the Cabin in the Woods of romance comedies, you know? And I'm, I know how much you love Cabin in the Woods, Wilson. Well, so like, this seems like the perfect formula for Calvin. He's got to go check this out. But I, I get... <laughs> I mean, it's not quite as subversive, not quite as unique that she was... Uh, <laughs> I do like the opening when her when her mother's like, uh, you're fat, you'll never amount to anything. <laughs> and, and then she grows up and she's big and she's like, I'm fat, I haven't amounted to anything. But then she gets her head hit and then she's uh, suddenly in a romance with that Australian guy who's uh, pretty good looking, I guess. And uh, But really she wants to date her friend who, who I thought was probably gay just because he had a couple of the tells, but then... Uh, he ends up in a relationship with someone else. Um, so really, it's about her finding herself that, uh, you know, maybe she doesn't want that romantic idea that's always in a romance comedy. Maybe she wants the true love of uh, hanging out with her friend, which I think is a horrible message to send because people shouldn't just be holding on to their friends and waiting for a romance to happen. Mm -hmm. So so here, here's my question for you on this, and that I'm wondering, maybe the film's, like, meta-commentary is just too subtle for you. Do you think the fact that you thought the guy was gay is because of your own prejudices? Or is it because it's a subversion intentionally to make you think that? And then they go the other direction. I mean, I think it's probably a subversion in that he should win an Oscar. But honestly, <laughs> I, I just don't... I didn't feel anything the whole time. And that's kind of like my metric for a romantic film. Again, I, again subversive. Maybe you, they don't <laughs> want you to feel anything. Well, then <laughs> mission achieved. <laughs> I mean... I, I don't know why you'd go see this now. I mean, maybe on Valentine's Day, if you were alone and you wanted a, a film to uh, reaffirm your loneliness, then... They, they kind of missed one. the window for that, didn't they? That was last I mean, month. Yeah, it came out around then. That was the right time for it, and now was it's it? not the right time, and people are still coming out. There's no way it's been in the box office since Valentine's Day. Isn't it? It's It's been about a month. Has it? Yo, yeah, I guess it did. Lame. What? Has it really been... Have we been talking about this since... Uh, yeah, I feel like uh, between this and uh, Green Book, we've been we've been talking forever, which kind of oh, leads yeah. us to six. 
Yeah, speaking of which, but Green Book, Green Book kind of went away and teased us for a little bit with being gone, and then won a Best Picture Oscar and decided to come back and never leave us. It's like a ghost. We can't get rid of it. Um, we need an, we need an exorcist in this podcast. <laughs> it's more than like tripled its budget. Now it's doing pretty well in the box office. We've talked about it too much. Uh, Spielberg's a huge supporter of it, which uh, which I think is half the reason he got railed on for the Netflix comments. Yeah, well, and that's a confusing thing, I guess, as well. Like, still, like, that's why I, I definitely don't take Spielberg's you know sentiments seriously there because there were many other good you know. Uh, candidates there that were not Roma, you know, that you could have picked instead of Green Book. I mean, people were like, this is, uh, you know, this is like the guy who did The Color of Purple or whatever, and he's doing this. Like, he watched the movie six times and said he loved it, but is this really what you wanted from him? Mm-hmm. I, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know about Spielberg's taste anymore. I think he hasn't really truly experienced great cinema in quite some time, you know, He's become he's become a producer and he sees, you know, dollar signs more than art. I believe. But I also I also have a message for the internet. <laughs> <laughs> we we got to stop dismissing people because they get old because they're naturally going to ha- that's going to happen. Like a, when Clint Eastwood goes on stage and talks to chairs, we should just expect dementia at some age. <laughs> it's going to be okay. It's, yeah, and that's the thing is that I don't think it's because Spielberg's old that he's out of touch now. I think it's it's a myriad of factors and being old happens to be one of them. It's a choice to be out of touch, really. You know, I just you've got think to... he's, he's like such a bastion of the old studio system that, of course, it's going to be his perspective not to go with the new form. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, Spielberg is the image of that. So, you know, shocker that he doesn't want to, you know, change. But again, it's interesting. You see, you know, like otherwise his contemporaries, like, you know, Scorsese is just right on that. Didn't hesitate at all to join up with Netflix there. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, it took some money, but I think that with that deal especially, they proved that they're in for the art, and they're, uh, you know, they had an Orson Welles film, and I keep hearing this week they don't care about film history. I'm like, how can you possibly say that now? Yeah, and, and certainly I think that while they could be doing a better job of that, like, I will never not appreciate them for, you know, funding the completion of The Other Side of the Wind, and then going even further than that, like, they could have stopped there, just kind of chucked it, but they, they cared enough to supply two documentaries with it, as well as go and get the rights to many other Orson Welles films to have on their streaming service to kind of complement that. And so at the very least, you can say that, you know, that they're, you know, taking care of that. And we got uh, Magnificent Amberson's now on Netflix, which you should probably go watch, and Touch of Evil, and uh, anything else on there? Uh, the Stranger is on there as well, and they have The Third Man, which is not a Norson Welles directed film, but, you know, it's a He's fantastic it. film he stars in. Yeah, absolutely yeah. great. Uh, you know, other ones I know is that uh, Amazon has stuff like um, Mr. Arcaden, you know, I believe is still available, which is another great one that nobody knows about. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of stuff to go explore. Um, I know you're a huge Orson Welles fan, and I think that Netflix makes it so much easier in this age to go... Uh, appreciate films well, that's that the are thing classics. Is that I was I was so excited when I saw that Amberson's got on because I I did a lot of my research, you know, leading up to the other side of the wind and I had to go track down Amberson's. I had to go find a, a DVD copy to rent because, you know, Criterion hadn't released their newest one yet. It wasn't really available to stream anywhere. It it wasn't around. I had to go to a special rent- rental t- uh, store down here in the city 
uh, and so when I saw that there, I was like, thank God people can see this, you know, this masterpiece now, you know, and so yeah, I told everyone about it. I raced around. I told everyone, go see this, go see this, finally. <laughs> so thank you, Netflix, for bringing us that. It's worth your time, and people are getting uh, better exposure and access to old cinema, so I don't know, maybe uh, maybe stop reading his Twitter and go watch Schindler's List. Yeah. It's on Netflix. <laughs> Suck on that, Spurg. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, continuing on here, at number five, we have uh, Fighting With My Family. And Fighting With My Family is a good uh, picture on Paige, the WWE wrestler who uh, infamously had sex tapes that got her into fame. But uh, it's a more grounded family drama. You get it like a fighting with my family, uh, double Mm -hmm. meaning there. so it's about her growing up in the British wrestling circuit and how transitioning into WWE was hard and she had to compete against models. She had a different look. She was a bit of a gothic, but uh, Stephen Merchant does a great job on the script, so I think it's worth going to see for the writing. And uh, even if you don't like wrestling, check it out once it's on Netflix. Yeah, and uh, also check out Calvin's review on the website. You got a chance to see that early, so very insightful and helpful. <clears throat> Uh, number four here, we have another thing that you reviewed. I think you've reviewed most everything else on the rest of the list here, which is nice. And All that's, but uh, one. <laughs> yes. Are you going to review? Uh, we'll, we'll come around that one, I guess. Okay. Uh, number four, we have the Lego Movie 2. It, you know, it's hard to bring a sequel together for something this charming and original because you're inevitably not going to be original again. And however those pieces fit, uh, I'm sorry for that, but uh, however <laughs> they fit together, you're you're just not going to recapture the magic of before. I think the the best way to go about it really is got to go like a Gremlins two sequel route where you just go like all out and like wink at the camera as much as possible, and just have fun with it, knowing that you're a point in the sequel. I think the I think that's a <laughs> I think that's kind of what it does because it 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 makes a whole point of everything's not awesome anymore, right? And um, we talked about it right before release. Where's it going to go from Will Ferrell? Uh, the way it goes is that. Um, the live action parts are more integrated into the story, and they come about every five or so minutes, probably too often. But uh, it's very self-referential, and it kind of breaks down the sequel wall. So, mm-hmm. well, that's nice, and I imagine it's going to stick around the box office for a long time until whatever the next animated movie comes around is. Though so we got a we got a big one this week, but uh, yeah, I think it'll stay as long as we don't have too many superhero movies. Do we have something coming? What's the animated movie coming this week? I oh, I mean, we have one. Uh, we have one on the list this week. Oh, that's right. I'm not paying attention, am I? No <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll get there. <clears throat> Got to catch up. At number three here, we have Alita: Battle Angel, which is kind of an animated movie. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised it stayed in for so long. I really thought it would. Uh, I thought it would drop off pretty quickly, and I don't think it'll ever make its budget back. But I think it's. Uh, I think people are having a good time, and just having it stay in third is a. Uh, surprising enough for me yeah uh, i'm very glad to see that at least it's definitely not going to make his money's back but it's trying that's what matters you know it's a passion project for both james cameron and robert rodriguez that i'm see happy to manifest here but sad that it did not get the the fanfare it probably deserved i mean it's a pretty miserable week at the box office so it's not a huge accomplishment coming in with about seven million but um yeah the disparity between this and the next entry is enormous yeah by uh 20 what is it 20 million there what are 20 we 20 million yeah. That's, yeah i guess we'll just move on and talk about yeah. this what, the one what movie is 20 million dollars better than lego 2 or uh, uh, Alita, sorry 
uh, I don't know what to talk. It's a it's a Medea family funeral. Ugh, that hurt. That hurt saying, man. <laughs> so I feel like we've had a Tyler Perry movie just recently exiting the box office. Um, mm-hmm. We had the uh, we had the one with uh, Tiffany Haddish in it. Um, what's it called? Uh, Nothing to lose. Uh, I don't watch a lot of Tyler Perry's, but uh, there's also in Vice there recently. Yeah, he's just kind of around, and we don't want him. <laughs> Especially at least, uh, at least in this sense. Like when when I I did not know this film was happening until I saw it in the box office, and I said, "Ah, oh, it's appropriate. It's a funeral because they're really digging this corpse up, aren't they?" Uh, what is it? There's there's like. 13 of these movies now or are so, the characters made 12 or 13 appearances uh something like that i don't know there's more Medea movies than star wars movies and that's a crime against cinema <laughs> yeah that does put us in a rough place um i'm surprised people love these so much I, I i think they're pretty cynical i think there are a lot of uh interesting things happening in black cinema right now that you don't have to go support this necessarily um even what men want, I think you'd have a better time with if you uh, want to go pass out for half an hour. Mm-hmm. Certainly. I mean, and there's uh, plenty of other things, but, you know, if this does have that appeal, clearly it does, and it entertains people, so I guess that's enough. But, you know, let's not treat it as anything more than it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, not don't, like, I don't even know not what great it is. Com- it's definitely not great comedy. It's not, like, classic work or anything like that. It's, you know, mild entertainment aimed at a very specific group, you know, I believe. And that's fine. It's not either of our bags, and that is most definitely true. So has Tyler Perry done anything that's uh, that you feel would be significant or would have made a, a splasher as he always kind of chipped away at these kind of movies? Yeah, I mean, as a, as a filmmaker, it does not seem like he, he contributes anything significant. You know, occasionally as an actor, he, he seems to portray some sense of, you know, professionalism and, you know, a, a serious, you know, stance on things. Like you mentioned, he was in Vice recently. You know, people talk <laughs> about his role in Gone Girl a lot. Yeah, but... yeah, he's, he's good in Gone Girl, actually. And uh, in Vice, he plays Colin Powell, which is, uh, it's pretty surprising to go from uh, Colin Powell to playing Medea, just uh, uh, cross-dressing as a elder woman. Yeah, it's not something you kind of connect in your brain. Right, <laughs> Oh, I, I, I'm I'm not feeling any better talking about this anymore. You want to move on to the last entry? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. The last one here, uh, the animated film that I'm too stupid to remember, How to Train Your Dragon: The Hidden World. That's okay because I already forgot about it. Um, yeah. I just saw it last week. I have a review up on the site that I'm really fond of that review. So I hope you all go read it. Yeah, it was a very fun review. It has that bit about people fainting at what men want. <laughs> yeah. And. Um, in the ending, for me, it was important for me to get that in there, so uh, go read that review. It's, it's yes, good. please do. I think, you know, it's one of your, your more heartfelt reviews, for sure. I enjoy it a lot, and, you know, it kind of has all your thoughts there. I don't think we have much more to say about the film, and we should um, say whatever we do have for the next several weeks when it will still be here. <laughs> yeah, again, it, it has a fantastic sequence where the dragons go uh, flying into the air and you feel weightless in the cinema it's a really good feeling and especially in dolby once the seats started shaking a little bit from the sound i you know i was really into a few parts of it but a very family friendly and it'll be good to have on in the background once it uh, comes out on video we had some small audio difficulties so now we're just moving into the streaming portion of this week's show with finding neverland on hbo Everybody wanted to meet Michael or be with Michael. 
and then he likes you. Hello, Wade. Today is your birthday. So congratulations. I love you. Bye-bye. I want to be able to speak the truth as loud as I had to speak the lie. I'll make sure and cut the child-friendly one, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the so-so healing for Brown. So, uh, and from that, we'll move on to our less child-friendly selection, and that's from our streaming this week. You have a lot to talk about with this one, right, Calvin? Yeah, um, Leaving Neverland two-parter on HBO. It's come out, and it's shaken the internet. I feel like everyone's shook. Uh, uh, Michael Jackson defenders are coming to its defense, but I think if you're not already locked in on an opinion it's going to change your mind yeah i i certainly think that's probably the case from everything i've read i have not had four hours to set aside to look at this and i will not in the near future but i've always been at the very least skeptical actually i have a funny story about um how i came to understand michael jackson i suppose i didn't really know him too well until he died about him you know i remember i was sitting in a dairy queen when it was uh you know i heard it over the radio and all I had known, really, was that he was, you know, a supposed, you know, child molester. That's all I really knew. I didn't even get to watch his first, you know, music video or know anything about him until after that. And then I have not heard about it, a word about it really since. You know, the, the narrative about Michael Jackson has changed significantly between the time before he, you know, died and then when he died. And now with this, everything's shifting back to that. Uh, I I never thought of that before. That there's an entire generation that only views him as a pedophile, that uh, they don't even see him musically. Um, it was so prominent, and uh, the same way like Cle like Queen or Nirvana was growing up, that uh, Michael Jackson was the most recognizable man in the world as a, a pop sensation. He was Certainly. on the news every day. Um, there was uh, no way of avoiding it, but. But then that also doubles once it comes out that he's a pedophile, that it gets that profile. And mm -hmm. that's the funny thing about this documentary. It's shot like a war documentary. It's uh, it's taken with the gravity and the seriousness of something else. It doesn't try to explore both sides because it, it understands that uh, there's one side that's been neglected that really needs to come out right now. Right, and I think it is still important to address that this is an issue that is not and really cannot be decided on ultimately as to whether or not it was really the case you know this is this is just a series of opinions and certainly you know you can be more certain on one than the other but there is no confirmation i think i think that it's uh it, it gives you confirmation of certain parts elements of it like it's certainly. very obvious that there's a lot of grooming happening there and that he was going after children to break them up from their family he'd say uh you know, the best part of being with you is being with you. I don't want you to be with your family. I want you to side with me and go against your mom and dad. And uh, that, that part freaks me out because that's a... Uh, I, I don't know why else you do that if you weren't a child predator. Right, you know, and absolutely. And, of course, I'm, you know, the documentary is full of, you know, facts and, you know, actual testimonies and what things. It's just important to consider that the, the role... You know, it cannot be an ultimate statement on on that verdict. There, I suppose you you know, it, at the end of the day, it's still an, an an opinion that you have to make on your own accord. Yeah, there were there were certain parts that freaked me out, like uh, like the boy describing how Michael Jackson would say, uh, "Did you wear your underwear home? You should go home and burn it. I I don't trust you to keep it. Um, there's probably blood on it." Or uh, or him buying a ring for one of the kids, and the fact that the kid held the ring for this many years. The way Michael Jackson would have said, uh, yeah, this is actually for a lady friend, but 
it was to make a promise to this little boy, and it, it's just that's scary shit. Why would you do that? Yeah, that's that's all really weird and gross sounding, and you know, and certainly I don't think you can deny that there was something you know shady going on at the very least. Like, as much as you might love Michael Jackson and how much an important figure he is, you know, that doesn't deny his his actions as a human being when whether or not they were, you know, the product of you know his own you know fucked up upbringing. That is certainly its own conversation and discussion to have. It's a, it's a whole mess of his, you know, personal life and character, but I think it's also important to emphasize the difference between art and artist as always, you know, because we can't just ignore, you know, his contributions now that we feel more confident in, you know, ousting him as a alleged pedophile. I don't think I'm ever, I'd ever advocate for, like, canceling his music because uh, it's uncancelable. It's so put into our culture, and there are so many great pop songs in there that define, like, the whole landscape of pop music. To cancel him, you have to cancel pop music. You have to take Lady Gaga away. You have to do all that, so... Yeah, there, there's no way to otherwise, you know... And it's the same thing. We've had this conversation many times between us. You can't ignore, you know, the you know cinematic contributions of someone like Rowan Polanski or D.W. Griffith or Charlie Chaplin just because they all have their own awful histories, you know. You need to be able to consistently praise the art but condemn the artists for their actions yeah i mean uh there's you know i think you'll make up your own mind if you end up watching it i don't think you should watch it all at once because who could do that but I four think hours is long it's that's lawrence of arabia length there i know and and i was surprised that it was worth doing so it is one of the more prominent releases for uh the next uh few months on streaming so worth highlighting here yeah certainly and hopefully uh and we'll talk about it a little bit more in future times as well. You know, I don't imagine it's going to leave the discussion anytime soon. This is, you know, kind of a, a monumental project. No, oh, and it is right in the right time for this where uh, projects like Serial, where there's an online uh, detective discussion, are a pretty big deal. You want people to kind of get involved with who's making a murderer or... Um, Whatever the uh, canceling R. Kelly movie is that just came out a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's very, very appropriate. Like you know, people will try and like deny it by saying, "Why now?" But you know, why, why didn't they come forward before or whatnot? But really, these these past you know three or four years have been all about encouraging people to come forward and tell their stories of abuse. You know. Yeah. And, so mean, alongside that, these guys just had they both had boys in the last three years, and it's like a. They know that uh, they know what it was like to be abused as boys, and if their kids grow up that way, they say they don't want them to feel like they can't come out and tell the story. Yeah, uh, so I'm very glad you had a very significant experience with it. I hope you know, based on all the praise you've given it, to see it eventually. But finding that time is going to be the difficult part, I think. <laughs> yeah, you got to break it up. I I wouldn't recommend anyone watch it. I mean, I think Jesse did on her site, but yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't do it in, in one sitting. You, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, let us move on to, to a little bit of a, a happier note here. You know, something to juxtapose this uh, somewhat dour, you know, HBO experience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a good experience. Go see it. But let's move on to our film. Yeah. So the film of this week, uh, we decided, is the, it is now the 25th anniversary of the Coen Brothers' uh, The Hudsucker Proxy, which is a very underrated film we talked about a little bit back on our Coen, you know, ranking. Holy moly. 
moly. And is this guy from Chumpsville? Ha, I even pulled the old mother routine. Adnoids. Lumbago. That gag's got whiskers on it. I'm telling you, Smitty, the board of hot is up to something. Hey, what's a six-letter word for an affliction of the hypothalamus? Yeah. And it's a cinch. Goiter, it's a cinch. This guy isn't in on it. Oh, she's right here. How much time to make the late final? Chief. Hiya, Chief. Just the person I want to apologize to. About seven minutes. Yeah, I was all wet about your idea, man. Well, thanks for being so generous. It is human, and you are divine. No, no, he's no faker. He's 100% real McCoy. Beware of imitations. Genuine article. The guy's a real moron. As in a five-letter word for imbecile. Oh, as pure a specimen as I've ever run across. Okay, fortunately, the August doesn't make me an expert, then my name is Amy Archer, and I never won the Pulitzer Prize. In 1957. What was it, back in November? Yeah, you, you have this as a, as an annual tradition, right? You watch this every New Year's? Yeah, I didn't actually this year because of, uh, you know, some other plans going on. But, you know, so that was why I decided to watch it now, finally. But yes, you know, usually it's a kind of the perfect New Year's movie, I think, you know, in the same vein. Like, what I really felt this time watching Hudsucker again was that I, I thought about it a lot as a kind of New Year's version of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It it, it definitely has that kind of atmosphere and that tonality to it. That it, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, because it opens it, it opens very much in a kind of similar way with this very kind of mystical, you know, fantasy ish vibe. You know, with the narrator talking about what's going on and then kind of taking you back. Like you start on the holiday, then you go on your way back, and then the the kind of the big climax of the film is the angel coming down and saving the protagonist from leaping to his death that's literally the same thing as it's a wonderful life <laughs> it is yeah and it, it opens with the guy actually jumping out the window uh, which is uh, interesting fun it's it's done in a very fun way like i was thinking for a kid's movie it starts out very dark which is a very <laughs> cohen's brother kind of a tackle to comedy you know it wouldn't be that without them having some dark comedy in there like that he should have opened the window yeah <laughs> and it's just fun because immediately the executives go from you know, oh, shit, they died. Well, how are we going to fix this? You know, what do the stocks look like? <laughs> yeah, I know. Then they have a they have a very serious... They, they don't even have real emotions. They're just trying well, it, to please each other and shareholders. So they, and they're then, not real people. It's funny because they put in that one guy, they put in the one executive who's just, like, bawling his eyes out. Like, don't you guys have any humanity? <laughs> right. What are you talking about stocks? He just leapt to his death. <laughs> yeah, you need that one serious person to show the absurdity of what everyone else is doing. Right. And, you know, of course, you've got um, great power here with Paul Newman being, like, the, the main executive here after Hudsucker jumps to his death. I mean, his... His severity in his performance is really good here. That he's so serious and plays it so straight is really great for the film. Yeah, and you know it shows that Paul Newman was just very capable of doing comedy as well as you know anything else. He's great here, and he's you know chewing on cigars the whole time and all that. And they, the basically the whole the whole premise, the the proxy of the Hudsucker here, if you will, is that you know they're looking to find someone, some dope fill this role to drive the stocks down as far as possible so they can all buy up Hudsucker's, you know, stocks at the new year when they become available and become mm. stupid stinking rich. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's a it's a very dark uh, business comedy for such a uh, it's also a light-hearted comedy. It's very strange. Uh, Cohen's it's very are very good. Yeah, Cohen's like are very good at bringing darkness into their uh, kind of light 
fanciful comedies. This is probably the 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 lightheartiest of the Coen Brothers films, despite opening on a you know gory suicide, suicide like that. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, comedy is generally very family friendly, and and Tim Robbins is so bubbly and smiley the whole time that it's it's very endearing and watch. Like that's the thing is that it, it warms me to watch Hudsucker Proxy, and I find it interesting that he's he's so jovial here because I didn't realize till I look back the, the film he did right before this was Shortcuts with Robert Altman oh. where he plays the biggest douchebag I've <laughs> ever seen. He's a he's a cop who is a serial cheater on his wife and it like the film opens Shortcuts opens with him being annoyed with the family dog that his kids are playing with so he takes the dog while the kids are like away everyone's gone and he drives out and drops the dog off in another neighborhood. And then when the kids get home, mm. they're all sad looking for the dog. He's like, I don't know, he must have ran off. That story sounds very familiar, but I need to re- I need to uh, watch the film. Oh. Mm-hmm. Shortcuts was very good. Definitely recommend it. But, you know, the, the whiplash there in role changing from going from an awful character like that to this endearing, you know, nice giant. That, that, that's one of the things. Well, Tim Robbins fucking huge yeah um yeah he's he's uh he's fantastic and he's he's interesting um i definitely prefer uh jennifer jason lee to anyone in the cast here. oh my god yes let's talk about jennifer jason lee because she is the best in this movie and i think she's the best she ever is in this movie uh, yes she gets I, so much space to do really great things here I entirely agree, and that's what I thought as well. That this is Jennifer Jason Lee's best role because she gets she just goes all out. Literally, the only other person in the film that can keep up with her is uh, John Mahoney as her uh, boss. You know, the the newspaper firm. Mm-hmm. So essentially, what Jennifer Jason Lee in the movie is doing is she's copying uh, a lot of Rosalind Russell's characteristics from uh, His Girl Friday. You know, that that fast talking you know newspaper woman from you know the '30s, and she does it effortlessly it's amazing to watch <laughs> i mean she's so fast uh you know she's so fast talking here i love that she just uh she just dropped things like only a numbskull thinks he knows things about things he knows nothing about she'll just like come <laughs> in with one of those one-liners that that really get you but they come out of nowhere like it's an such old a, fast talking detective that's such a word salad you know phrase as well and she says it so eloquently you know when she when she throws it out like that and she's so much fun in the movie to watch. Again, it's it's just it's it's impressive. Her introductory scene is really great, and she's got the whole characteristic down. Like, and it's it's sad to me because at the same time, in a weird way, because she she like entirely dwarfs Bruce Campbell in the scenes that she's in with him, and nobody dwarfs Bruce Campbell usually. <laughs> I mean, she dwarfs everyone. That's kind of what's so funny about her character is that she's coming into like you you know like nineteen fifties where women's rights stuff's happening but then she's just such a uh, she's like from one of your favorite noir films like out of the past she yep. just has like that like you say word salad mm-hmm. it, it's definitely like that and like i said it definitely calls back uh, a lot more specifically to like the kind of 30s screwball comedies that like howard hawks would do a lot of and whatnot uh like that that's what it, it's it's very similar to a lot of sucker proxies comedy uh at least in the first half what i noticed definitely on this viewing is that there there's a the, the film trips up a little bit once it gets into the actual plot. Like, once the, the hula hoops come into play, yeah. then the pacing starts to drag down just a bit. I mean, I think the hula hoop thing's funny at first, but after that, I don't think they have anywhere to go from there other than the end. Well, I think the thing is that because 
everything up until then, you know, is all very comedy and character driven. And that's where the mm. strengths of the film really are. So that's why that first half is so enjoyable and fun to watch. Whereas the second half is entirely plot driven. And that's where it's less interesting because the plot of Hudsucker Proxy is not nearly as interesting as all the character stuff they have going on because they have, they have a slew of interesting characters and comedy bits. Uh, you know, one of the other great comedy bits in the film is in the very beginning when, you know, Tim Robbins gets the job at it, at the place, you know, in the, in the mailroom. Mm-hmm. And they're <laughs> and and they're going through, and he, he's getting his orientation. He's just yelling over the machinery and whatnot. You know, <laughs> you make sure you, you know, this is your employee number. You remember, it will not be repeated to you. You forget it, and they dock you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's kind of Monty Python esque what happens in that employee room. It's so zany and so out there. Mm-hmm. And it, it, and that's where all the kind of the fantasy elements come as well. Like this, this whole world feels out of reality, which. Is surprising because the film isn't really grounded up until the end, where you know the the climax is at the the tower where we come into the film at. Yeah, I mean it's almost hard to believe that they're in kind of a different world. Like uh, you look at something like the ending here, and it kind of brings to mind their most recent film where the cowboy gets his wings and flies off. Like, like right. that they're able to like kind of subtly play into a whimsical world, and then they're able to end on a note like that, and it still works somehow. Yeah, it still works. I think it's a, it's a little odd and out of t- you know touch with the, the kind of the rest of the film, but not enough to to kind of take you out completely. It's just it's another example of how the first half is is a lot better than the the second half. But I guess uh, we kind of breezed over the hula hoops. I want to talk about that that funny bit as well because the the hula hoop thing is a funny kind of plot device because Norval, the the character that Tim Robbins plays, he's you know, he's carrying around this genius invention idea you have. It's just a circle on a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, the, and it's the thing that will will go on to, like, save the company, right? But it's also just a fad. So it's kind of about, like, the, you know, the fads in business and uh, how they could thrive off one idea. But then once you're out and you have your one idea, I mean, what good are you then? All you have is a circle. Well, they kind of, they kind of bring it back at the end because then they, they bring that in with the, the Frisbee bit. You know, they have... Yeah, right. And that's how they, they end the, the film on that note. And they, but you know how many kind of kitschy fan things he's going to invent because Norval turned down the the bendy straw from the elevator boy. Yeah, that's right. Um, the elevator boy is uh, is interesting because uh, uh, he's fast talking too, but he has a uh, he has real stupid things to say. Yeah, he's he's not necessarily my favorite part of it. He's kind of an asshole, but yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Because once uh, once the main guy goes down, that then it's his rise to power. Uh, yeah, because then, then uh, Paul Newman's character tries to use him as the patsy. Because they all uh, they they're just looking for incompetence as a like a bottom line of how to run the company so they could get rich. Yep. And again, it's it's a funny thing, but it's all it's all very caricature driven. Like, of course, the the executives don't have any nuance to them. No. You know, let's not make any you know presumptions here. This is not a, a deep film by any means. It's all very entertainment level here <laughs> yeah i think it's it's might be one of their more strictly entertaining ones that doesn't there's not a whole lot to dig in through i think it's i think it's pretty pop, properly rated i think we both like it but i don't i don't know you might love it a little bit more than i do i i have a special place in my heart for it but i don't make any you know you know i i, I know it's quality for sure it's not the greatest thing ever it's certainly not the cohen's best film by any means but I think it's still underrated and underappreciated. 
by you know the within their filmography which is why we you know decided to take some time to talk about it a little bit more here yeah i think we had it ranked right after um inside Lou and davis when we did our ranking which yeah i thought it was properly rated on there at least yeah certainly uh you know maybe a little less after this last viewing you know just kind of confirming how little clunkier the pacing of the story is and whatnot but I, other i kind of agree with you when we put together a list that the man who wasn't there might be their more underrated picture overall it very well might be those two definitely i think you know the hudsucker and man who wasn't there are probably the the ones that need the most appreciation now it's hard to say a serious man kevin also made a pretty big case for being underrated but they have a few that are kind of like that yep so, I mean, there's plenty to explore in the their filmography, of course, which is, you know, why we went over it before. And hopefully yeah. we'll do do that with other directors as well. Look forward to. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing, Jennifer Jason Lee, she was in uh, Shortcuts right before this also. Yes, that's right. Uh, she was also in Shortcuts right before this. She was... Uh, she played the the wife of Chris Penn, and she ran a phone sex line from their their <laughs> oh, house. Did she? Yeah, and it was. It is, I gotta it is, see it. I think it was funny to watch because she she'd just be doing like mother like she'd be caring for their kid or whatever while talking to, over the phone to a client. She's like, oh yeah, oh I want you to do that. And just weird like sex stuff. While she's the juxtaposition to me was funny to watch, and Chris Penn, you can see him kind of like boiling under the surface and like clearly jealous, but not sure how to tell her that because she's raking in all the money because he cleans pools for a living. Right. Um, <laughs> I've read uh, pretty much all of Raymond Carver's stuff, so I know these stories, but I'd, I'd really love to go see it. Um, Definitely. Oh, I, I guess one other important thing we should talk about, we didn't mention this. Huntsucker uh, Proxy is a collaboration between the Coen brothers and one of their great friends, Sam Raimi. And they, they knew Raimi from doing some editing on uh, Evil Dead, right? Yep. Uh, Joel Cohen was the assistant editor on the first Evil Dead film. And, again, that's how they kind of... Uh, they learned from, you know, Sam how they got funding for Evil Dead by going around and asking for, you know, donations, you know, money for to fund it and be producers, essentially, on, like, a, <laughs> you know, couple thousand dollar basis, you know, to various business people and whatnot in the local area. And that, then the Cohen said, well, we could do that, too. That's how they got the funding for Blood Simple. Yeah. Started their careers. Yeah, Blood Simple is uh, another great example of their collaboration. Although, uh, I think after this one, they kind of needed to go their own way. And, uh, you know, Bruce Campbell doesn't even add a whole lot here. So Yeah, uh, Bruce is actually, you know, you'll, you'll find this surprising as well, is that um, Bruce Campbell actually has cameos in several uh coen brothers films like uh not exactly in blood simple but he was one of the people they used for making the the trailer for blood simple he's in that oh, yeah. he's yeah he's of course here he's a he's a tv actor on uh a commercial that you see in fargo so there's a couple of movies every yeah, now and I then mean, uh, where they kind of get together and collaborate but I think it's I think it's great. I don't think it's on par with Blood Simple or anything. Oh, absolutely, absolutely not. No, Blood Simple in my eyes, especially as a masterpiece. I mean, just go read the article I wrote on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely do that. Um, I don't know if we have a whole lot on this. Uh, oh, go back to like Raymond Carver stories. Uh, yeah, I just did a film festival. Had one that seemed very much like a Raymond Carver story to me. Um, That's right. I remember you talked about that in your review. How it was Carver esque. Yeah, it's a. He always got really good sociological stories, and it's one called uh, "What We Talk About When We Talk About Fish" from um, 
Norway, I think it was. Uh, so go check out some of our uh, film festival coverage also. Yeah, uh, you get a lot of that great stuff from the, the Nordic Film Festival. Um, you know, what? I think it was just yesterday the review up went for Woman on Woman at War, right? Yeah, we got uh, Woman on War out, we got Land of Hope, and we have the Nordic shorts all up on the site right now. Um, so go check it out, especially the short films have a lot of interesting stuff from all five Nordic countries, so uh, that, that should be cool. Yeah, I think this will also be a, a good opportunity to say that, uh, you know, Calvin, you won't be here with us next week, we'll have a, a different guest on, because you're going to be a little busy, right? Yeah, I'm leaving the site, uh, sorry to announce it here, uh, I'm getting <laughs> married and moving on with my life, so. Yeah, wife's, uh, shackling you up and locking you away. <laughs> um, yeah, we just had a few disagreements about how things should go in the podcast, so I'm, I'm just permanently leaving, and it, it should be alright, uh, I am getting married at a Nordic museum, so that kind of ties in with our coverage, and that kind of puts a nice bow on things this week. Yeah. You know what I bet it was? I bet it was that comment I made in the, the 10 Things I Hate About You podcast where I said you spend too much time with your fiancé, and so now she doesn't want you to spend any time with me. I did confront her about it, and now she's uh, probably going to confront you at the wedding, so that'll, that'll be good. Oh, that'll be an interesting uh, you know, fight to see happen there. Uh, <laughs> I don't want uh, <laughs> to... This will not be a good wedding after all, or at least the... The that part. reception, the reception is <laughs> going to be a little messy. Yeah. Other than that, I think it'll be fine. Apart from me quitting the site, I think you guys will do a fine job. Looking forward well, to it. Well, you know what? Here, how, how about you sit out for for this next week, and I go toe to toe with your new wife at the wedding, and we'll decide if you come back or not. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I'll put that out to her, out there to her. She's a little busy, but she might be interested. So stay tuned. I'm going to fight Calvin's new wife at the wedding you know, this upcoming weekend, and then we'll see if he comes back. Sometimes uh, you, you just want to get married to call them wife, too, because uh, the fiancé word gets old after a couple of years. There's a great John Mulaney bit about that. I'll have to look it up somewhere. There's, there's oh, yeah. something more satisfying about, that's my wife, you know? <laughs> it implies ownership rather than that you're going to be there someday, you know, it's, it's nice. Uh, after a couple of years, you don't want to still be in that phase of, yeah, we're going to do something one day, and we have this title to show it, you you know, you either want to be, like, boyfriend or husband. Yeah, no, we did it. It's a commitment full-on. Yeah. There's there's something satisfying. There's something sexy about being decisive, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> except for this podcast, which I'm deciding not to do anymore. Uh, uh, again, again, tentatively, we're going to settle this this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll come back in a couple weeks with the results, but until then, you'll be looking at Yo Jimbo with our friend Graham, which... Uh, I may actually listen to one of our podcasts, which should be fun. You should. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get other content from him as well. I'm just now realizing that his previous piece that he put up with us here is on Sword of Doom. He does talk about more than just samurai films, I promise. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely not good to be our samurai guy. We don't put anyone <laughs> in a box at the Twin Geeks. Uh, nobody's just going to be like anime Japan samurai. Mm -hmm. But it, it'll be very fun to talk with him. You know, We love Graham, and he has lots of great insight into things. And we'll finally get to say all the nasty shit about Calvin. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, I won't be listening or coming back, so... <laughs> hold on, hold on. Okay, okay, okay. We won't say anything bad, but let me fight for your honor at the wedding. Still, yeah. please? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. We'll come back next time with the results. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you one thing. I didn't expect all this hoopla. <laughs> 
Okay, I just want to warn you that uh, when I wrote this song, I was listening to The Cure a lot, so. Okay. You don't know how much I need you. benefits. <laughs> 